We're going to get into the Word of God. You can turn your Bibles to uh, the book of 3 John. 3 John. We are, I know it's hard to believe, and it's been a much longer process than I thought it was going to be when I began the study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, we, we've really just continued through this verse by verse, and it's been fun. I've enjoyed it, and uh, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at it thinking, man, we're just a week or two from the end here, and uh, we're going to look and see what to study next. I actually kind of snuck up on me. I don't have a plan. Usually I have a plan in place for where we're going when we complete this, but I've got a couple of weeks to pray about it and see where the Lord leads and what we'll be tackling on Thursday nights. We will prosperous life. Or the question could be asked, is your soul prospering? Is your soul prospering? He has here, uh, says here, this description of this man that is beloved by him. He says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth." He recognized there's something about this Christian that he saw as benefit, that's profitable unto him. He says, man, you might have a struggle in your health, but I know that you've got a prospering soul. Well, I, I hope that we have prospering souls tonight. Amen. So we're going to see here as we launch into this third epistle, very close in time to the other two. They believe they were kind of written either uh, consecutively or simultaneously, but going from one right to the next, written to different people, different areas of ministry. Once again, he's addressing this letter in a very personal way, like John chapter 2 or Second John. Uh, he's addressed that letter to the elect lady, to an individual, which we apply to the church, to, to the, the church, and we applied it that way, and possibly it's to a specific lady that would be a leader in the church there, but we see here that he addresses this letter to Gaius, this well-beloved friend of his, somebody that we believe is actually quite possibly uh, a son in the faith for him. We're going to look a little bit more about that, uh, but he cautions him in this letter to reject, uh, to be careful not to reject good men. You see there in the second epistle, uh, he was writing in, in Second John, you know, he's writing to the elect lady and the, he was cautioning them, listen, there's heresy, there's men that are preaching false doctrine, there's those kind of people, he told us a couple things about him, he says, hey, don't invite them into your house. Don't, don't, don't be cordial or friendly to those, don't, don't express and show hospitality to false teachers. He says, don't even wish them Godspeed. Listen, they're spreading false doctrine and that was in Second uh, John, but now into Third John, he says, but, but wait, wait, listen, there are some people who are preaching the truth. There are some people who are proclaiming the unadulterated word of God. And those men you ought to be hospital to. You ought to be uh, caring for. You ought to be loving. You ought to be showing God's grace and mercy to them. That's what this particular letter is about. Well, uh, listen, there are some crazy people out there. There are people that are preaching false doctrine. And we ought to be cautious about them. But there are some who are doing it right who are doing, doing what God has called them to do, and they're holding forth the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they need to be encouraged by the church. They need to be cared for by the church. They need to be loved by the church. They need to be supported by the church. And we're going to see that as we look at these thoughts in this lesson tonight. John makes note of three people that he finds in the church there, get, describes their character traits, describes who they are, and the way that they impact those around them. 
Can I tell you this evening that each and every one of you impact somebody around you? Nobody lives a life unto themselves. Every single one of you impact other people in God's house and in your area of influence. So I want you to see, first of all, this man and the impact that he had on the church. And as we set this forth, I, I think this man we're looking at tonight, that you and I ought to desire to be like this man. There are character traits given to us here. There's an example given to us. And we can look at him and say, you know what? There's somebody that's worth pattering my life after. There's somebody who's taken some right steps. And we don't know all there is to know about this man. But what we know about him, it is worth our time. It is worth our effort. So I want you to see this. First of all, we see a righteous love. A righteous love. This is the kind of love that comes from Christ. To the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be healthy, even as thy soul prosperous. So we see in verses 1 and 2 here a righteous love. Beloved, it is vitally important that leaders... Uh, live lives that are honorable to God. Because the Bible says, uh, be not many masters, for ye shall have the greater condemnation. The fact of the matter is, is a leader has a weight and a responsibility on him. A great privilege to impact lives. Amen? It's a great privilege to impact somebody's life and to be used of God to direct and show people the way to go. Some of you involved in the discipleship ministry, what a privilege to be able to sit down with somebody and teach the word of God and to teach the gospel and to teach them about Christian growth and what God wants for their life. But hey, I want you to understand when you begin that role, you're taking on some leadership. You're taking a position where you are now going to be held accountable for what it is you're teaching and holding that line and proclaiming that truth and, and directing and impacting those lives. You've been given influence in their life. And so God says, hey, don't take that lightly. Amen. You need to live in such a way that it's honorable to God and would not be a hindrance to the gospel. We see that this man was rewarded for his effort. He was rewarded for the work that he put into doing right. He says, well-beloved. He was well-beloved. His friend, Gaius, he was well-beloved. Four times in the text, in verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 11, he calls him the, his beloved. A friend, kind of a passion that he has for him. What I see here, as we were just talking about the other day, uh, the idea that sometimes maybe we need to work on our personality a little bit. You know, if somebody's going to love you, it takes work to build that relationship. It takes some effort to spend some time with them. It takes a little bit of give and take. I was thinking about chasing a rabbit down here so close to my wife, uh, you know, <laughs> but it takes a little give and take for a relationship to work for 27 years. Amen? Amen. And, and that's, that's what it takes a little bit of work. So we see he's rewarded for his effort here. He's recognized and he's loved by John and his effort was not uh, without a prophet. I want you to note that it was not just John that loved him. Look, look at what it says. It says, the elder unto, it doesn't say unto the guy I love or to the one I love or to uh, Gaius whom I love, which Paul many times said that when he was talking about somebody. He said unto whom I love. But here he says, the loved. The loved. I think there is a, a statement here that 
a lot of people love this guy. I think it's just generally recognized he was a guy that people generally loved, that people found a camaraderie with, that people found easy to care for. And whatever is his investment in their life or whatever uh, made that change, where he was privileged to be loved by so many people. We don't know everything about Times. You look in the history books, you'll find it's it's pretty common. Uh, you know, like Smith is no common name in Roman times. So there are actually four men in the scriptures that are named this name. Uh, hard to say for sure, hundred percent, whether uh, you know passage of scripture. Talking about the same one, and you're not hundred percent. Ones, possibly all four are different men. Uh, we know that several were recruits, or I should say, converts of Paul. That's very clearly stated in Romans sixteen twenty three. That one there, uh, he was uh, recognized Gaius of Derby. Uh, he was a companion and a convert of Paul. It tells us there. Uh, there's one mentioned in Acts chapter nineteen, verse number twenty. Uh, he was seized at Ephesus. Uh, he again was a companion of Paul. But we don't know for sure much more about this man other than what's given to us right here. But believed to be a convert of John because of what he says at the conclusion, let's see here, of verse number uh, four. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So he believes that this is probably a convert of, of John because he recognizes him as a son in the faith. Like Paul talked about Timothy as his son in the faith. And it, it, we're not 100% on that, but it's believed to be the case. So this is what we know about him. He was beloved. Beloved in the truth. Beloved in the house of God, in the church, there is no division. There is no should be no sex. We talked about the unity that God has given us in our church. And I praise the Lord for it. I had many people after church on Sunday comment about how privileged or thankful they are about the unity that's in our church. I had one person call me just, uh, I think it was Tuesday morning, and said, Pastor, I don't know what you're all so worried about because I don't, I don't see any problems in the church he says, I just, I see such a unity in this church and I see so many friends and everybody loving each other. He says, I don't know what you were concerned about. And I said, I think I said that, didn't I? <laughs> didn't, I didn't I say something about we got a good spirit in the church and I, I praise the Lord, but I'm glad. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm just thrilled to be here and I just love it that everybody is friends with everybody and that we have that kind of unity in our church and we praise God for it because there should be no division in the church. The church is not to be divided or put together in different classifications. We know in the, in the church there, in the New Testament church, there was Greek and there's Roman and there's Samaritan. There was bond, there was free, and all men were loved by Christ. And we should love all men very clearly. He is the creator of the world, has declared his love to us, and we should love one another. One noteworthy thing is that John prayed for the one he loved. You note there in the beginning verse there, he says, Unto the elder, well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. 
this spirit of prayer, looking for, longing that this man would prosper and have a soul that was prospering. He was rich spiritually. It's possible, beloved, that he struggled physically. For whatever reason, John acknowledged the fact that, hey, I'm just hoping that you're, you're healthy, man. Quite possibly, John had got some news that he had, maybe Gaius had been to the doctor recently. Maybe he had a chronic illness that plagued him and it was understood. And so John was saying, hey, I just, I'm just hoping that you're healthy. I'm hoping that you're as healthy physically as I know you are spiritually. What a, what a, a uh, just to be acknowledged and known that way. I mean, listen, this old flesh might be falling apart. You know, I think about somebody like that. I think about some of the saints that we've had, some of the elderly saints in our church that just love God. You go visit them and you're trying to encourage them and they just encourage you. They're just praising the Lord and thanking God and their, their old flesh is falling apart. They can't even get out of bed anymore. Or they can't do what they used to, but they, their soul is prospering. Even though physically they can't. You know, he might have been struggling a little bit financially, but he was prospering spiritually. It is abundantly clear that he prospered spiritually. Beloved, when we have a right perspective, we'll know that it is the spiritual things that matter most. That is what is most important for us. We know that bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable, what does the Bible say? Unto all things. So bodily exercise profiteth little bit, but godliness is profitable to all things. The spirituality, spiritual things are of utmost importance. We know that godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul told Titus what was going to be profitable to men. He said, be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. These are profitable things. And beloved, that's God's desire for you and I. We know John 10.10 tells us, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's God's desire, is that Christians would have a soul that was prospering. How is it a Christian can have a, a song on his lip and, and joy in his step, even though he's going through struggle? Why? Because it's not his circumstance that dictate his joy. It's not the struggle he might be going through today that decides whether he has joy in his heart or a smile on his face or a song on his lips. It's his relationship with God. We can praise the Lord and shame on the devil anyway, amen? amen? Even though you might be going through it. If your soul is prospering, and if we could just have a soul that was prospering, our problem is, is we're so tied to this physical world that we don't feel like our soul's prospering unless we're physically prospering. If, if checks are coming in and the bills are paid and we've got money in the bank or, or I mean, if, if everything's going well, then all of a sudden, boy, we're prospering. 
But for the believer, our soul should be prospering. And that's what we should be rejoicing about and seeing God speak to our hearts. And boy, I long as we come towards and approach this for time of revival that our souls would prosper. That God would do a work in our midst that is undeniable. Too many Christians are existing as Christians. They're enduring the Christian life. But beloved, God wants you to enjoy the Christian life. He came that you would have life and have it more abundantly. He wants you to enjoy it. My wife has made it her personal mission to help me. <laughs> because I tend to be a little bit more, I say even keeled. <laughs> when we were in college, I would come through the line and she would say, how's your day going? And I would say, it's, bear, it's bearable. <laughs> and you know her, she's like bouncing, bearable, what? You know, she's all, and, uh, all excited. And she would say, well, how was dinner? And I'd say, it was edible. <laughs> I kind of had this kind of like things were, things were okay. But I praise God, he brought her into my life. And now things are great, amen. <laughs> things are exciting. Things are, I mean, hey, there's a better way to look at things. They don't have to be just edible or just bearable, just enduring. But they can be exciting. They can be fun. They can be wonderful in Jesus Christ. That's what we should be having as Christians. But a lot of times, oh, we're just going, oh, it's bearable. I can hold on till Jesus comes. <laughs> I'm sure I can. His grace is sufficient. He'll get me through. Listen, I know we have some bad days, and I'm not knocking people that are going through a real struggle, but too many of us are living there when God wants us to be prospering in our souls. The secret is revealed to us here in verses 3 and 4, where we see a radical loyalty He says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified. This is other people that came through. They testified of the truth that is in thee. These other guys came by, and I don't know how it came up in conversation, but they saw a need to say, hey, have you heard about how Gaius is doing? I mean, man, he knows the word. You know, my brother-in-law, we were talking to uh, Brother Pagano. We were talking to Brother Pagano uh, this afternoon, and my brother-in-law has a printing ministry. You guys are familiar with his, books, his different books, you know, the Growing True series and other things like that. But he, uh, you know, one thing I tell people, there may be some things I don't like about my brother-in-law. But you won't find a better Bible scholar. You won't find, I, I don't know if somebody that if I had a Bible question, a doctrine question, an understanding of a passage of Scripture, there's probably two people in this world that I would call and have confidence in the answer that I was going to get without question. He's one of them, Dr. McNeely's the other. Those two men know the Bible, and just off the top of their head, I, and I've watched his life. He has a testimony, and I have carried that testimony all these years. I haven't, I haven't been back to Kansas. <laughs> has it been since 2008? I mean, probably since 2008. But you know what? He, uh, he knows the word. It's a testimony. 
And this is what this is what he was saying. Somebody came by and they told me, he says, man, I praise God that when these brethren came, they testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What a privilege to know somebody that he led to Christ is, is going forward for the Lord. The rejoicing that John has. Um, I just want to reiterate, I said at the beginning, but listen, beloved, nobody lives unto themselves. You think, oh, I don't make any difference. You know, Frank, you've encouraged my heart. These last few months, you've been coming to church on Thursday nights. You've been here. And I know you can't always make it, but you know what? It encourages my heart when you come in here on Thursday night. It blesses me as a pastor, but not just me. There's other people that have noticed it. And some people think, oh, well, nobody really notices me. Uh, It doesn't matter if I'm there or not, but they do notice you. They see the life that you're living and, and the actions that you're taking and the priority you put on God's word and on God's house. And it challenges and encourages other saints. And when you start missing, when you stop being a part, people are like, well, what happened? Where, where did they go? What's going on? Are they sick? Gaius, his testimony was such it made others rejoice greatly. May John rejoice greatly. And we see the reality of his life. I want you to know that he had convictions that were evident in his conduct. That's what we need. We need Christians that have convictions that are evident in their conduct. Amen? Amen. That means what we say we believe changes the way we live. Not, not just uh, talk about it. You know, these modern movie stars, and let's go ahead and throw the politicians in there. The other, the other day, the other day I heard AOC on the House of the Senate talking about her faith. I don't know what kind of faith she has, but it doesn't line up with what I, James tells us that faith without works is dead. Now, some be like, you shouldn't be naming people. Okay. But here's what I'm saying. There's so many people. You see them on the news. You see them on TV. You see them out there. You know, the, these rock stars. I just want to praise God for, for all of this. And, and you know, I just, I just, everything that he's made possible. Listen, the life they're living doesn't line up with what they're saying. And Christians need a life that lines up with the book. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be living. It was in his heart. He says, I rejoice about the truth that is in thee. Listen, the Bible says that I hide God's word in my heart. But tell me why? Why? What is the motivation for that? Amen. Amen. It's not just so that we can quote some verses. It's not just so that we can win a a verse memory contest, kids. The reason we hide God's word in our heart, we've got to get back to the the motivation for it, is that I might not sin against thee. That is what the testimony that Gaius had. He says, I rejoice greatly. Man, I'm excited about it. 
that you have a testimony that your conduct matches the character that you have, that the testimony that you have. It's a reality for you. Praise God. Nobody had anything evil to say. Everybody just declared this, this man and what he was doing for God. I think about Titus, verses 6 through 8, that little passage. He's talking to the young man. He says, young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of a contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. He's saying, live in, live in such a way that nobody can say anything bad. Live to the best of your ability. Bring honor and glory to God. It's living and walking and establishing, having a pattern of good works. In J. Vernon McGee's commentary on this passage of scripture, it's not something that he said, but it's something he said somebody said. So I don't know if I've given too much credit there. Like, <laughs> like somebody said that somebody said this, Okay. My life in God, that is my salvation. My life with God, that is my communion. My life for God, that is my service. You see, they're different things. Just to know that I'm forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven does give me the privilege of being made a son of God. It opens the opportunity for communion with God, but that takes effort, as does our service for God. I want you to see, thirdly, in verses 5 through 8, we see a resolute laborer. He was committed. He was going to do the work. He says, beloved... Well, beloved, sorry, I say beloved a lot. So, beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest. You know, I praise God for people that will just do faithfully whatever they're going to do. Whatever they're signed up for, whatever they've said they were going to do, uh, to have somebody that's just going to do it every single time, every single week, every single month, whatever it is, just faithfully doing that, man, it's counted unto a steward that a man be faithful. God puts great weight on faithfulness. And by the way, that's an expression of your faith, your faithfulness to what God has called you to do. But he says, beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to thy brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that, for his name's sake, they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. Now, I want to give you some truths here regarding this. We see that he faithfully undertook whatever God instructed him to do. Just faithfully did it. Beloved, it takes more than pious, pious platitudes or elaborate eloquence. To fulfill the work of the ministry. It's not something we just talk about. It's getting out of bed and doing it. 
You can have all the worthy ambition in the world. But until we start taking that step, until we start doing that work, until we start accomplishing that task, it's just talk. He did it faithfully. We see several things in this passage about his labor, his dedication. I want you to see four things that I found here in the text. First of all, he was generous. He was generous. He said, Thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to thy brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy, what's the next word? Charity before the church. He was generous. A defining characteristic of any Christian should be generosity. I want you to understand generosity does not have to just be money. Sometimes it can just be time. How many of you are busy? I know all your hands could go up except you're comfortable and that's a lot of energy. So uh, all of our hands could go up. We all have more to do than we can get done in a 24-hour period. And by the way, (laughs) people's lives, everybody's life in here is different. The responsibilities they have and what they have to do and accomplish, it's all, it's all different. That's why the Bible says don't compare yourself among yourselves. It's not wise. You know, you go through here. I mean, I just have heard people say stuff and I think you are kind of foolish. You're like, oh, man, what do Don and Karen have to do? Their kids aren't in the house anymore. They're all by themselves. They got lots of free time. They must just be sitting at home all day, every day. Well, first of all, when you get that age, you've earned the right to, amen? (laughs) But see, you don't know what burdens they're carrying. You don't know what other struggles they have. You don't know what else is going on in their life or demanding their time. You have no idea. You see, some... People's lives, I mean, I just want you to know other people, every life is different. And the weight they have to carry can be a lot. And I'm chasing this rabbit. Ultimately, we're talking about being generous. And maybe you could be generous just with some of your time. To be honest with you, I'm preaching it myself here because sometimes I feel like I'm so busy and, and I, don't, I just don't have time. But what's the ministry if it's not about people? And if I'm too busy for people, then I need to wake up. I need to fix something because this ministry is people. And I need to stop and stop worrying about what's the next thing on my agenda and take some time with people. And maybe, you know, that's just being generous with your time. I don't know what it is or where or what area you might need to be generous or have some charity, but that should be a defining characteristic for us. We see also that he was godly. He did what he did after, the Bible says here, a godly sort. The actions he were taking were a godly sort. They were for God, to accomplish God's purpose, to fulfill God's will. He was doing what God wanted him to do. Imagine having that said about you. I don't know what else he might be doing, but I know whatever he's doing, 
it's going to be for God. That's pretty amazing. We see also that he was gracious. He showed hospitality. He exhorted and said, we ought to therefore receive such. We ought to take them in. We ought to spend some time with them. We ought to be hospitable to them. I've recently taught on this, so I don't need to. I mean, I took a whole lesson and talked about the importance of hospitality. Uh, God expects us to be hospitable. To show and exercise and display hospitality. And I don't need to reteach that. We know, of course, that's a descriptive characteristic of a man of God. He's to be given to hospitality. That's a very well-known passage. But I want you to know that in Romans chapter 12, in the list that's given to us there on the marks of a believer, if you have a study Bible at all, Romans chapter 12, the latter half of it will say the marks of a believer. And it gives you a whole list of things that are found in a believer's life. Well, verse number 13 says, distributing to the necessity of the saints. So there we have generosity. And then he says, given to hospitality. So that should be a mark of a believer. That we're generous. That we're godly. That we're gracious. Are you given to hospitality? Are you willing to open your home? To have a teen activity at your house? What? Are you willing to have a traveling missionary stay with you? You know, we've got to the point where we have this prophet's chamber, and not only do we have the prophet's chamber, we have the, the White House over here, the missions department. And so very rarely do we need to put somebody up, and, and occasionally if that happens, we'll just put them in a hotel right over here. But when I grew up, the missionary always stayed with somebody in the church. That's the missionary stayed with somebody in the church. I mean, the church was not going to spend money on a hotel. <laughs> Now, God's blessed us, and we we can, praise the Lord, but that's how I grew up, and I'm just, you know, next year for our anniversary Sunday, uh, for the 20th anniversary, we want to have several days of meetings. We want to bring in a bunch of our missionaries. We're going to have a night focused just on missions. We want to bring in all of the interns that have been here, that have served all of the interns. We want them all to come back and be here. And we're going to have one night just to see what these men and these ladies are doing in the ministry today. Night focused on the interns. Uh, We're going to do several special things like that. But you know what? All of them are going to need a place to stay. So I'm just throwing it out (laughs) ahead of time, okay? Uh, It's a year in advance almost, okay, Uh, that... You know, maybe one of these college students, maybe one of these young couples, maybe one of the missionaries and their eight kids. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying there might be a need. You say, oh, I'll be willing to put one of them up. But we're going to be putting it out and saying, hey, here's, here's who's coming. We need a place for them to stay. As we get conf- confirmed that they're going to be able to make it, we'll start scheduling where they can stay. So we, can, we don't want to just put 10 hotel rooms over here and spend all that money. Put them up for a couple of days. Be hospitable. He helped the saints. He said, especially those saints that are working in the ministry. We know that we ought to, we ought to do that. They were, they were fellow helpers in the truth. 
He became a co-laborer with them. You know, we're going to see in the coming weeks this other man in the passage of Scripture here, but uh, he, he didn't want to have anything to do with people that were outside the church. Like this, us four, no more. I mean, he didn't want anybody else to be involved. And John was saying, wait, there's people doing the work. He said, there's a couple notable things about those people that are doing the work that, that you ought to support them. You ought to help them. You ought to be hospitable to them. Why? I want you to see why we should help them. Look what he says here. He said, they were doing it for his namesake. You see, people that are like our missionaries and such that are out serving the Lord, um, they're not doing that because they're trying to get rich. You trying to get rich, brother? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in the trade, so we have some things in common. But, uh, you know, it's pretty humbling for a guy that used to work a job and pull in a paycheck and take care of his family to come to a church like this and say, well, if you guys don't mind, it would be a lot of help if you could support me. Listen, he says, hey, that's what the church should be doing. He's not out there trying to make a name for himself. He's not out there trying to uh, get, get rich. He's out there, why? He says here, for his namesake. Because God had called them to a job. God called them to a task to do, to do a work. And he says, hey, I want you to get out there and do it. And then he says, hey, those that are of the gospel should live of the gospel. They should be supported. We should try and help them. We see here also that they were taking nothing from the Gentiles. He said, these guys that are out doing the work, they're, they're, not, they're not taking anything from the Gentiles. You know, on our missionary questionnaire, the missionaries that come here, uh, we have a question on there. Uh, where do you receive your support? I mean, if they'll take support from, from anywhere, then we'll let them get it from anywhere. But somebody that's living of the gospel, that wants to spread the unadulterated word of God, they're going to get support from churches that believe like this. And that's who we want to get behind. People that are standing in and with the truth. And he says, hey, this is why we should support them. Why? Because they're doing it for his namesake. Because they're not taking anything of the Gentiles. Because they need some fellow helpers. You understand it's a combined effort. We know this truth from studying the word of God that as we do our part, they do their part, the souls that are saved are fruit added to our account. We can't necessarily go to Africa, but we can give some money so somebody else can go. And they go in our stead, and that becomes fruit added to our account. So we're fellow laborers. We're tag-teaming with them. We're doing what we can do to help them get there so that they can go and they can support. I mean, we can support them so they can actually do the work. And then we have fruit added to our account. We're making it possible for them to do it. And we see that it was about the truth. The very last phrase here in verse number 8. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers. Fellow helpers to what? The truth. 
You see, that's the goal. We like to get behind an individual. If God leads down the road and we get behind this family over here, you know, the goal is not just to send him money. The goal is for the furtherance of the truth. To send the truth out. To get the truth to as many people as possible. Because the truth is the foundation of our fellowship. The truth is the foundation of our salvation. The truth is what it's all about. And ultimately, the reason that we would become fellow laborers, the reason that we would get behind somebody and support them, was because we want to further the truth. We hope he does a good job. We hope he's an effective missionary. That's who we strive to find and get behind as men that are doing the work. That are generous, that are godly, that are gracious. But the goal is for the furtherance of the truth. So we see this description of this man. He had these character traits in his life. And they're things that we should have in ours.